Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arseblog Arsecast right here on Arseblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Hope all is good with you and yours. Thank you for being here as always. Hopefully the interlull has seen you refreshed, recharged, rebuilt, rebuilt. Uh, I hope that none of you out there during the course of this interlull have had to be rebuilt in any way. That would be a bit traumatic. Uh, I think what I'm trying to say is that the start of the season has been bad, and it was very intense there, wasn't it? The the um, the reaction to what happened in those games was pretty full on. So stepping away just a little bit, not having Arsenal to uh, disappoint us or cause us moments of, of frustration and all of that kind of stuff, perhaps that was good. In the grand scheme of things, you know, because, uh, well, look, we have to go again. We have to start getting these things that are fundamental to any football team season, which are goals and points, because we haven't got any of those yet. So we need some of those starting this weekend. But there was stuff going on after the Man City game because the transfer window closed. We brought our, our signings to six. Uh, with the signing of uh, Takahiro Tomiyasu from Bologna, to add to those of Ben White, Nuno Tavares, Albert Sambi Lukonga, Martin Odegaard, and Aaron Ramsdale. Uh, you know, a new, fresh-faced approach to Arsenal squad building, which was good. Perhaps there weren't quite as many departures as we might have liked, and uh, I don't think we raised as much money as we would have liked to in the transfer market. Nevertheless, the money was there for the incoming deals, and I suppose that is the most important thing in terms of getting this team going again, a new approach, some fresh faces, some players that, you know, we can get behind, some players who who we hope are going to be really good for us. But in the very short term, they just simply haven't disappointed us. They're like clean slate players coming in and we can project onto them all the good things that we hope they can bring to the team. And hopefully at the expense of some of the players whose slates are are less than clean. They're, they're dirty slates, muddy slates, filthy, nasty, dirty, slimy slates in some cases. Slates that somehow keep managing to get the same dirt on it over and over and over again. And you question, why am I using this slate? Why don't I get a completely different slate? But the slate just won't go away. You almost feel like you're going to be burdened with this particular slate until until the end of time. You know it's not possible, but that's still kind of what it feels like. So the squad, such as it is, well, it is what it is right now. This is the squad that we have 
until January with the six new signings, with some exciting young talent in it, with Smith Rowe, Saka, Martinelli, with some good players as well, Thomas Partey, Nicolas Pepe, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. There are some good players in this team, and we're looking for these guys to, to mix and to come together in a beautiful cocktail. All of these ingredients which we have gone out to get, and we're putting them in the pot, and we are cooking them up together, and we need this to be fast food, not necessarily a slow cooking experience, if you know what I mean. Because you've got to get results. You've got to start getting results as soon as possible, particularly when you've had a start to the season like we have. I realize that I mix my metaphors all over the fucking place in that little intro, but there you go. And we do have plenty to discuss. Mikel Arteta met the press. There was the Edu interview. There's the whole, you know, situation we find ourselves in, some individual player uh, bits and pieces. So let's get on with the show. I'm delighted to welcome my guest from Goal.com. It is Charles Watts. Hello, Charles. Hey, Andrew. How are you doing, mate? I am all right. How have you um, enjoyed or otherwise this interlull? Because it feels like it came at a good time for for everyone, for Mikel Arteta, for Edu, for the Arsenal board, for Ar- for Arsenal fans in general, just to sort of back away a bit and decompress. It, it feels like it was a timely break for all concerned. I think it absolutely 100% was a timely break for all concerned. Um, yeah, he needed it. Arsenal needed it. It's given them time to get key players back available which they are. We've seen that in the team news update today. So that was important. And just a time to take stock, I think, and to just sort of clear the air, which mm. you, you hope is what they've done. They've spent, you know, not too many of them have gone away on international duty, have they? Which is the bonus for us. Mm. So he's actually been able to work with them um, for, a, for a good couple of weeks now. And you, you hope, to, you certainly will hope that they've, they've sorted something out that will lead to a much much better performances and the wins that you need so yeah i think it was it certainly came at a good time with the benefit of a bit of you know time to take stock how do you view those opening three games of the season do you feel any sympathy or or anything like that for for arsenal because clearly look it's not good enough we know that results are are, are key they're the things that people uh, want to see first and foremost. Um, there are things that have been mitigating factors, perhaps. You know, the, the Brentford um, game was, I think, probably a bit weird because of the COVID situation and, and the perfect storm that came together for them. Chelsea, not great. Man City, absolutely terrible. Is there any sympathy to be had for Arsenal's return in points if you take those three games in isolation, or is that just a, a reductive way of looking at it? And the real story is bottom of the table, no points, no goals after three games. There is some sympathy, but the moment you sort of mention that, you're immediately labelled as an Arteta sympathiser or whatever. But when you look at it on the face of it, I think at the start of this season, when we saw the fixture list come out, at this point, we all probably were expected to be sitting here with one or three points and not win naught. So mm. 
I think the Brentford game is the one you look back on. Yes, there were the issues of COVID, and you know, only a few hours before that game, a lot, you know, Arsenal didn't know whether it was even going to go ahead or not. So it's clearly a massive disruption, and it was always going to be a tricky game. That one, Brentford, mm. first game of the season, Friday night, new stadium, first game in the Premier League. You know, they were going to always be up for it, and it was going to be a difficult one for Arsenal. So I, you know, I wasn't overly surprised they got turned over in that game, especially given what went on. But, it, um. But that can't, you know, that you they should still have enough about them to go there and cope with that and still try and get a result. So, you know, what happened against Chelsea, they got turned over by a team who I think are going to win the league this season for me. And uh, Man City, they got turned over by the champions and the Champions League finalists. So, yes, it's bad. The result has been bad, but the results aren't massively unexpected aside from possibly the Brentford one. Mm. But they've had the issues that they've had to deal with. But I think it's more the performances that we've seen in some of those games. The fact they haven't scored a goal, the fact they've barely they've created one good chance, and that was created by Pablo Mari for Rob Holding from a set piece against Chelsea. Yeah. That they're the main issues for that. You still you want to see them have a bit about them to go there and play in against these teams, even though you're expecting them to lose to Chelsea and, and certainly Manchester City, because there were times against Chelsea, certainly in the first twenty minutes, when they were all right, but. Mm. I just want to see him have more about them. Even with players missing, you can still see, you can still go up and put yourself about against teams and create chances and look fairly decent. And Arsenal just haven't done that. And that's, the, that's been the biggest issue for me over these three games. And it's just a bit of a continuation on from last season. Mm. Certainly during that bad spell of last season where they just struggled to score, struggled to create chances and they're just a really difficult watch and that's my that's my biggest concern about them right now yeah I mean before the transfer window ended there was sort of I'm not going to say briefings but you know the word was look judge us at the end of the window uh, mm. and see where we are and see what we've done and I think there is some um, there is a point to be made about the team being different if you've got Thomas Partey if you've got Ben White if you've got Gabrielle if you've got a right back um, which we appear to have now, even though he's a, a very versatile defender, it looks like he's going to slot in at right back. If you've got something more about you in the creative side of things, and that's Martin Odegaard, even though he was there for some of those games. You know, I understand that that aspect of it, but we get to the end of the window and then we have this Edu interview and Edu saying, well, look, judge us when this team is out there. Judge us when the team comes together. Uh, it feels like the goalposts are always shifting a little bit. You know, that, that there is, I'm not going to say always an excuse, but always something. And and to be fair, there have been so many things that have gone on with this club and with this squad and with this team and so many situations and individual situations and, and all of those things. They've all got this sort of air or, or veneer of, of um, what's the word I'm looking for, kind of truth to them, but you can't keep uh, looking for things to mitigate the fact that you can't score a goal in football. Yeah, I mean the, the fact that they're going to be judged now. This is this is this is it now. I don't. You can't say just because this is a bit of a project and they've bought players for potential. Arsenal can't be judged in one or two years now. Yeah, um, they're going to be judged. Uh, sorry, yeah, Arsenal can't be judged in one or two years. They're going to be judged now. They're mm. going to be judged on the results they get now. I think you give them a little bit of leeway for the window to shut and to get the squad in place. But now it's a time to be judged. Arteta is not going to be in a job in two years' time if the results aren't don't improve. So he's going to be judged now. So for me, everyone has to be uh, has to be judged now. And um, you know, I understand that it is a project. I understand the way they have started working in the transfer market. And and I like to be honest, I like the way they've started mm. working in the transfer market. I'm much more, uh, I'm I'm much more sort of um, 
satisfied with how Arsenal could be looking in a couple of years' time after the work they've done in this window than they have in a lot because you can actually see it's a decent strategy. Like Gary Neville was talking about that clip that went viral it was talking about Arsenal don't have a strategy and it was really confusing that because the one thing you can say about them in this window is there was a clear strategy. It was, it's obvious. Mm. They signed players between 21 and 23 and they're looking to embed those sort of players with the Halem boys that are coming through to build a team for the future. And, you know, that is a good strategy. But for Mikel Arteta, ultimately, he's going to be judged now. He's not going to be given leeway to for, for that because if he doesn't get results, then he's going to be getting the boot and another manager will come in to, to try and nurture them over the next couple of years. So, yeah, I mean, Edu's interview was, it was, he was always going to do something like that. Sometimes he does it for the papers. He obviously did it with, with Sky and with Arsenal this, this time. And, um, yeah, I mean, some of the some of it, I, I, that the bit about sort of not talking about targets. I know that got picked up a lot, didn't it? And mm. people were a bit annoyed that he didn't set a target. But again, for me, that's kind of just it's just director talk in an interview. For me, there's no way Arsenal aren't going to have internal targets about where they want to finish and and stuff at the moment. So I don't think we need to worry too much about that either. Yeah, I mean, I think that's true. I mean, there have to be target set for everybody, not just Mikel Arteta and I think for Edu and for for everybody, you know, you've got to st- you've got to have some uh, target that you're aiming for, a minimum set target that you have to achieve if you want to be if you want to be safe in your job. I mean, the thing about the Edu interview is there's an old saying, isn't there, about like if you're explaining you're losing, and I think that applies very very much to this because well, Arsenal they have been losing. Um and it has required Edu to come out and pretty much tell everybody what we already knew about what they're trying to do. Um, I mean, how do you view that kind of communication from the technical director at a club? Because it's not something we've been used to at Arsenal. Arsene Wenger was always the man in charge. He was always the manager. So he was top of the pile. We've had this kind of perception of, of Mikel Arteta because they made him manager and it's sort of muddied the waters a little bit at, at a time when Edu, as technical director, seemed to be much closer to Raul Sanyehi than he did to Mikel Arteta. All of a sudden, Mikel Arteta gets made manager. People bestow on him a, an authority that comes with that position. I think that's fair. With manager comes a responsibility, comes a certain level of authority. But we didn't quite know where the lines of demarcation were between these two guys. Do you think there's something to it from Edu's point of view as well, that he has said, look, I want to get out there. I want to take hold of this. I want to show that I'm the guy who's put this plan in place. Uh, And I'm the one who is in many ways calling the shots from a, a footballing perspective. And I say that based on, something that Mikel Arteta said at his press conference today. I'm trying to find it here, but basically he said, this is a plan that we all participated in. Uh, It's a project we believe in that we have to assemble. We all take responsibility because we've all been involved in the decision and we have to make it work. Like, I'm not saying this is sort of Arteta hitting back at Edu for Edu coming out or, or anything like that, but there's still not quite the, the, the clarity over who does what, who's ultimately, ultimately responsible. What happens if it doesn't work? Does Arteta go? Does Edu go? Do both of them go? We don't quite know, do we? No, we don't quite know. But I, mean, I, I wasn't surprised that Edu did it. He did it last year as well. He did it after the cup final win. He, he did it then. He did it with a sort of round table with 
there was probably about sort of 10, 15 of us involved in that one. Mm. Um, and this one was obviously didn't, he didn't throw it out to a wider mix. He just did it with Sky and with, and with Arsenal. So I wasn't surprised when, as soon as the window shut, me and a few other uh, journos who saw one in the pack at Arsenal were, were saying, I wonder what Eddie's going to do. We, we thought he would probably do something. Um, and I felt like it was needed just because there was a lot of talk about Arsenal at the time. It was a hugely busy window for them in the end. I think halfway through it, we weren't sure if it was going to be as big as we were all expected. But in, in the end, it was, wasn't mm. it? I mean, it did amounts of business. So it, it, I think it needed a bit of, it needed someone to talk about it. And it, he was in the place to do that rather than Mikel. So I wasn't surprised he did it. You know, some of the comments he made, I, you know, it's just what you get when you listen to a, a football director's talk for me and I think Edu is under just as much pressure where he certainly should be than Mikel is for me because you know he's he's in a hugely important position at this football club and so far a lot of his decisions have been highly questionable and um, you can look at Arsenal's struggles right now and you know he's maybe not equally is to blame because ultimately Arteta is a guy who sends him out on the pitch and has him ready. But certainly a lot of his decisions, uh, as I said, have been very, very questionable. You know, Willian, we all know the links with Willian and Edu. And yes, Arteta wanted him as well. But, you know, Edu was right bang in the centre of that deal as well. And that's been a bit of a disaster. And there's been other ones as well. So, you know, he's under just as much pressure for me as Arteta. So I was no surprise to see him come out and try and sort of lay out his his plan and his vision uh, for the future. I mean, it has to it has to start working quickly as well, doesn't it? Because it you, has to start working now. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's yeah. What, that's yeah. Because I mean, literally no points, literally no goals. It yeah. is only three games, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, I think that again was something Arteta touched on was the 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 project, which is to build something in the medium to long term. But football has no patience for that. Football as an industry has, has, you know, you can't operate in that way as much as it makes sense. And you think, well, we have to do things. We have to rebuild. You still have to go out on a Saturday or a Sunday or whenever it is and, and play the games and, and win and get points and all of those things. Because, you know, the plan can only work if you achieve things on the pitch. You know, mm-hmm. you you can't, like, do this, play terribly for 18 months and expect people to think, well... In another six months, when they've had a couple of years together, it'll all just click and it'll come together and we'll start doing what we need to do. So that that balance between those medium to long term objectives, which I like and I think you like and I think many people listening to this uh, are on board with because we don't want to see any more of Cedric's. We don't want to see any more Williams. We don't want to see, you know, the club having to literally pay old guys to just go away because they've been such a failure at the football club. We don't need to see that anymore. So, you know, even on the basis that it's something different, it's easy to get behind. But, you know, you've got to you've got to sort of start creating the cocktail pretty fast now. And, and you know, even if people are able to compartmentalize those first three games of the season, the next three games... When you look at Norwich, when you look at Burnley, and then you look at a North London derby, require performances and they require results. Yeah, they do. That that Tottenham game is going to be so important, mm. I think, as well. Yeah, you know, things go wrong in that one in front of a full Emirates and, and results uh, against Norwich and Burnley haven't exactly gone to plan. You know, if any points have been dropped in those two games and then things go wrong against Norwich mm. and that's going to, against Spurs, that's going to be a big issue, I think. Um 
so yeah, they they have it has to start working now. You've got to start seeing signs of it now. There's no way as as much as like you said, we look. I think we all well, most of us all kind of like this direction that they're heading, and we think it is important because of all the things you mentioned there about mm. the failed sign-ins of paying players to go and you know it's i think everyone will get behind a young group who are starting to move forward together but you've got to get results especially at a club like arsenal you can't be you can't have time take time to to build something you need to start seeing results and we haven't seen that so far since the win against since the win in the fa cup which we thought was a good, you know, real positive moment and the start of something. We've not seen anything since that that suggests that this is really working. We had two eighth place finishes and it just doesn't feel like it's going anywhere. So now this huge outlay of players in in the window in terms of bringing players in, getting players out, this now feels like a much more balanced squad. It feels like we're not there yet, but it's a squad that Arteta has got to get something out of. And if he doesn't, he's going to go. It's plain and simple. I can't see this anywhere. If he Arsenal finish eighth again this season, I don't think Arteta is going to be in a job next summer. I, I just can't see it. I think he needs he needs to have show tangible, get tangible results in terms of this project is moving forward under him. Otherwise, it's going to be a project that another manager is going to take over. I mean, how much patience do you think there is internally or at board level or executive level in comparison to what there might be externally from fans and from supporters who, you know, I think it's fair to say that there is a, a growing uh, opinion with regards to Mikel Arteta's ability to implement this plan because, you know, the, the plan might be good, but how you implement it is is going to be key. Um, you know, if if this month doesn't go well, the external pressure is going to be absolutely enormous. And rightly yeah. so, rightly so, because it's not to throw words back in his face, but Arteta often talks about the standards that are required at Arsenal. Uh, you know, this is a big club, we have to get results, et cetera, et cetera. If he is not getting results, that, that pressure externally is going to be massive. But they've clearly decided that, you know, they, they're going to back him in the, in the transfer market with players that he wanted um, maybe he would have liked a bit more experience along the way, but it is what it is. Do you think they're more likely to be tolerant of uh, an indifferent month than some fans might like? I don't. I don't think so. To be honest, I, I think as much, no one wants to change at Arsenal. From mm. what we've spoken about, from people that I've spoken to, no one really wants to change. You know, everyone likes Mikel. Everyone understands his project, but. As I've said, it's all about results. And I think if, say, the next international break is after the Brighton game, isn't it? So it's Norwich, Burnley, Spurs, Brighton. If Arsenal are still in the bottom three at that point, like you said, the the pressure, the external pressure is going to be so, so big then. And we saw what happened with with Unai. And ultimately, it was that pressure that led to him losing his job. It was empty seats. It was fans making a huge scene. And it was pretty clear that to everyone that that was a project that was going nowhere. And I think if I, these results continue to stay the same over the next sort of four or five games, then I think it's going to be, it's beginning to become pretty clear that this is a project that is beginning to go nowhere as well and that it's going to need someone else at the helm. So I'd be really, I, I would not be at all surprised if a decision was made at the end of the at the end of this international, next international break, mm. if, if Arteta is in the same position he is now. I hope he's not and I hope he's sorted things out, but, well, Unai got till December, and I think there was a realisation at Arsenal, perhaps, that they, they waited a little bit too long to pull the trigger in, on that occasion. And I think that'll be at the forefront of everyone's mind if this continues in, the, in this vein of form. Because Arsenal can't be 
mucking around at the bottom of the Premier League. They just can't be. And as much as everyone likes Mikel Arteta, I don't, I don't see how they could not take that decision if they're in the same position in a month's time, two months' time. How much does style play a part in this? Massively. is That's what played a big part in Unai, didn't it, as well? Mm. I think by the time Unai... I mean, it had all gone wrong at the time of Unai. It was, it was obvious. You could see just by watching the football that there was... It had just completely gone. It had overwhelmed him and the players had gone and, and everything. And I, I think that's that, as I said at the start, that's my main issue with Arteta here, certainly in these first three games. We saw it last season as well, is that it's not... that I'm not really seeing anything from him in terms of what this plan is, how he's going to get this group going. And that's what I really want to see in these next few games because the fan, you know, he was lucky last season that fans weren't in the stadium. You think back to some of those performances at home, certainly at the Emirates. Mm. If there were 60,000 in there, well, there wouldn't have been 60,000 in there, but there probably been about 45,000 in there. But you would, the reaction would have been pretty brutal to a lot of those games. And, you know, if we, if they're, they're turn it, serving up similar performances this time around in front of a full stadium, it will be, it will be pretty brutal. Mm. I mean, I was at the Chelsea game. I sat with my dad. I wasn't in the press box because yeah. I went, I did the video thing. I sort of little mini documentary on my dad returning to his seat. So it was the first time I'd actually sat in my seat my season ticket seats since 2018 and I'd forgotten and it's the first game of the season first game you know the fans have been back for 18 months and it only took 20 minutes for me to remember exactly what it was like to sit sit in uh, amongst the Arsenal fans mm. again just to hear the frustration and the um that was in there you know and it it's not going to take much for that stadium to be in to certainly a, almost a majority of that stadium to end up being in revolt and you know I did, you can't social media fans on social media and fans in the stadium it is very different the, there's a huge for me anyway it feels like there's a huge and growing um, number of fans on social media who have lost complete faith in Arteta and, and the project and mm. they're becoming very very voiceful and I'm not sure that's quite gone into the stands yet but I think if we have another sort of four dreadful results coming up in this period then it's going to be pretty brutal in the stands and that ultimately ended up losing Emery's job and I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up losing Arteta's job as well I suppose you know if you're I've heard the word unlucky applied I've used the word actually unlucky uh, uh, in regards to Mikel Arteta I think in some ways that is true you know, I've never known a manager, a first-time manager, to to ever have to deal with as many things as he has had to deal with. You know, some of them of his own making, some of them completely not. Um, but if you're looking at the situation that we're in right now and you're looking at the fixtures that lie ahead, I'm not going to say it's a lucky run of fixtures because there is a big game, obviously, with the North London derby, but we can't possibly... Uh, count Spurs as a, a big team. So you've got Norwich, you've got Burnley, you've got Brighton. I can't remember who else there is in there. I think there's Leicester in there. Um, there's like a run of maybe eight. Palace, Oxford. Yeah. They, they are on paper, and I, you know, use inverted yeah. commas here, on paper, fixtures that you would expect Arsenal to do well in. You know, fixtures that... If Arsenal are going to achieve what they should achieve this season, they need to be taking a lot of points from. So on that basis, you know, I'm not, again, not saying he's lucky, but this is a run of fixtures, which I think is not going to convince people if we go through it really well, but it provides him with an opportunity to 
to put that really bad start behind him, behind the team, and if he can get them going and if we can get points, you know, we could be in a much healthier position. I think the thing is when you don't win, it's really difficult. We just talked about this <laughs> just before we started recording. Like, It's really difficult to see where the positives are coming from when you're so mired in negatives. But once you sort of break out of the fog a little bit, it, it does become more easy or simpler to see some of the aspects of the team, the club, et cetera, et cetera, that could move forward fairly rapidly, you know, if things start going in the right direction. Yeah, things can improve, things can change very quickly. I mean, just think back to the, the win against West Brom and just like the, the 24 hours after that game was just a nice feel-good feeling, even though it was against a West Brom kids team, obviously. Mm. But it, it just changed the mood. Just one little win changed the mood and then obviously it all came crashing back down against Manchester City. But, you know, you get you sort of back up that win with another and things will start looking an awful lot better. And especially if there, you see this type of performances that we saw against West Brom in terms of goals and, um, you know, some fun attacking play. And like you said, the, the, the games that have got coming up, Norwich, Burnley, then you've got Wimbledon in the cup, which could be quite nice. That can kind of be like last season with the Europa League group stages game, which were always fun. Mm. Then you've got Spurs, which is your chance to really make a statement that the season's has well and truly started if you can beat Spurs. Brighton, Palace, Villa, you know, Leicester, Watford. It's, it's a nice, nice run, like you're saying. It's a real opportunity. He's got no room for error, basically, I think, mm. in this one. Because if you can't get results in that, that run of games, then, you know, nothing really points to him being able to get results against anyone. And so yeah. it's, it's, it is a perfect group of matches coming up for him after such a difficult, difficult start. But then, you know, you look at some of them last year, you, you talk about, um, you got Villa in there. Arsenal lost that last season. Um, you know, Tottenham's not going to be easy. Burnley won at the Emirates last season. So it's mm. you know the whole on paper thing. Yeah. It has to be noted, but it doesn't always work out <laughs> like that. So, and it also, yeah. And if they go wrong, then it's even worse. Again, at least against Chelsea, and Manchester City, you can accept it and think you know mm. we're probably going to lose those games anyway, even with a full strength team out. But if you can't get results against the likes of Burnley and Norwich with your full-strength side, then it's going to even increase the pressure almost. So it's kind of a win-lose situation for him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose the good thing about Burnley is Granit Xhaka won't be available. So, uh, you know, that's a, that's a positive, um, given what happened in those games last season. I want to talk to you about a couple of individuals. Um, Thomas Partey has had a difficult time, I think, since he arrived from Atletico Madrid. He got injuries in his first season. He arrived... I think it's kind of overlooked how late he arrived as well. He had, he did have a preseason um, with Atletico Madrid, but, you know, coming into the Premier League, um, whatever bit of adaptation he would have had as a senior player, I think he was, you know, more able to cope with that. But he's had a difficult time, and that was compounded in preseason by a nasty injury, which I think... His unfortunate wasn't his fault. It was a bit of a bit of a nasty tackle on him. So he rolled his ankle. He misses the first three games of the season. It really feels like the kind of time for him to and, and yeah, I, I don't want to say this like he should be the the savior, the messiah when he comes back. He's the guy who has to like all of a sudden knit everything together and make it work. But when you sign a, a 50 million pound midfield player of 27 years of age, you're looking for them to come in and be, you know, be one of your top players consistently straight away. And we haven't had that. He hasn't had that. Uh, 
now would be an exceptionally good time for him to to really start to get things going in terms of his his Arsenal career. Absolutely, it's, it's huge. And that that injury against Chelsea was such a hammer mm. blow. That was because I think pre-season wasn't much fun to watch in a lot of those games. But the one real encouraging thing was Thomas Party in those pre-season games. He looked sharp. He looked fit. Um, he was. You know, his passing was on on point. The speed of his passing was on point. The way he was breaking the lines and getting the ball into the forwards quickly. It was just really exciting looking at him. He looked the sharpest he'd been since being Arsenal shirt. And then that injury right at the end, it was so frustrating. Mm. It's new. It was gonna, even if it was going to be just out for a few games, which it has been, it's just another disruption for him. And that's what it's been. It's been so stop, start, stop, start. And, um, and yeah, it's, 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 this season is huge for him. Absolutely huge for him. Because he's Arsenal's best midfielder by a country mile. And we just haven't seen it yet regularly enough because of the injuries. And this is so sod's law because he just, he's never been injured before he came here. And now he's just injured all the time. And it's just typical Arsenal, really. And, you know, if, Arsenal, if Thomas Partey has a very strong season this season, then Arsenal are going to do pretty well, I, I would suggest, because mm. he's he can be that dominant in midfield when he plays well and when he's fit. We've seen it at Atletico Madrid. We all knew who, who Arsenal signed him when he arrived. And it's been such a shame that he hasn't been able to replicate that now and I think Arteta will be absolutely pinning his hopes on him he'll think if you can stay fit you can really start to boss this midfield and you can get the ball into our forwards quickly which mm-hmm. no other one, no one else really can in the midfield um, then he can make an absolutely huge difference in terms of at both ends of the pitch because we know his quality when it comes to robbing the ball and disrupting the opposition when, they, when they're trying to attack so he's such a key figure for Arsenal and that's why every single time we get to this stage where he comes back from injury you just see everyone's excited it's like Thomas is back Thomas is back yeah so far that has always been followed by Thomas is injured again <laughs> Thomas is injured again and now it's just fingers crossed that we don't have to say that again now and he can just settle in it'll probably take him another two three four games now to get up to speed mm. but once he's up to speed just pray that he can stay injury free and can really find his rhythm for the first time in an Arsenal shirt and if he does that then Arsenal are going to be miles better off because of it yeah I mean I think one of the aspects um, you know when people talked about Granit Xhaka last season and maybe he'd had his best period in an Arsenal shirt despite a couple of moments uh, that I referenced earlier against Burnley you know the fact that he was playing alongside Thomas Partey uh, in in many of those games, I think, is is overlooked. You know, Partey is the kind of guy who can raise the level of of those around him. You know what I mean? He's just got that quality and got that uh, ability in midfield that that we need to we need to see on a more regular basis. Another one I think we need to talk about is Gabriel um, Gabriel Magalhaes uh, at the back. You know yeah. that left sided centre half position is so wide open for him right now. Pablo Marie was poor in preseason. He was poor to the extent that we played, say, Kalasinac as a central defender, which... I don't know, think he was that poor. I, 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 I still can't <laughs> believe that. I still can't believe that decision. I still can't believe that decision. Yeah, well, I mean, that's... it. I guess it shows you how poor his performance was considered internally, considering... Yeah. You know, Kalasinac was a player that we just gave away last January. Rather than rather than, uh, than have a left back uh, cover for Kieran Tierney, we just gave him away. That's how little we considered him uh, useful to us. And now he's starting in the Premier League against Manchester City. Um, 
whether you would have gone with Pablo Marie or otherwise is a different question. But but clearly, Mikel Arteta and his staff have felt like, well, he, we can't play him against Manchester City, which means that Gabriel, coming back from a knee injury, which has kept him out of the first few games of the season, who was supposed to be at the Olympics, as we know, it is absolutely there for him to nail himself down as uh, as a first name on the team sheet player in that position. And when you think about what, I think one of our major issues last season was the inability to to field a consistent back four in the Premier League. Um, Orbino on Twitter gave me the stats, and we had 25 games with different combinations. 25 different combinations, I should say, of back fours in the in the Premier League, which is amazing. So. You know, for any team to to be able to attack well, you need a defensive platform. I know that, like, we had this weirdly acceptable defensive record last season. But if you think about a back four with Tommy Asu, Ben White, Gabrielle, Kieran Tierney, it's got a lot of stuff that we can get behind, I think, as as fans right now anyway. Thinking about what these players could bring to the team, um, you know, our, our sample size with Ben White, of course, is very small. We haven't seen Tommy Asu play yet. Uh, Gabriel, like Partey, had a difficult first season, but, you know, he really has the chance to to establish himself this season, doesn't he? And, and lest we forget, he was a fairly substantial purchase last summer alongside Thomas Partey, nearly £30 million. So, you know, it, it's he's had his 12 months of, of adaptation as a, a relatively young player. He's 23 now, going to be 24 in December. It's time for him too. It absolutely is. And I think, with Gabriel, I was literally just searching. You said it as I was searching. I was trying to see exactly how old he was because I can't remember if he was 22 or 23. He's 23. And, you know, he's still very, very young, Gabriel. And, um, I mean, he started superbly last season I think he won the first three player of the month awards and mm. then he had that real dip which can come you know hit English winter time for your first time in the pre- getting to, in the Premier League at such at such a young sort of age mm. you can have that sort of dip but he kind of struggled to recover from that didn't he and yeah um, COVID as well few, didn't he yeah yeah there was a few issues during the second half of the season like you said with COVID and um but this is the time for him now. And uh, you, you look at that partnership of Gabriel and Ben White. I mean, that is clearly Arsenal's centre-back partnership. That is it. That's what are we talking about? London Colney, that's, you know, Mikel Arteta's plan. He was asked about it at the press conference today, actually, um, about it. He said, look, they've both been signed since I was here because they have the profile and qualities we're looking for. We need to establish a relationship. That cohesion at the back line is really important. They've never played together, but they will do. And I think that's the key now. It's those two. They've got to play each other as much as they possibly can because I think they complement each other pretty well. Gabriel, mm. monster in the air. White, not so good in the air. You know, that's not one of his top qualities. But if you've got a player like Gabriel there, and certainly Tommy Astor as well, he's decent in the air next to you, that can kind of cover maybe a few deficiencies in terms of uh, White's heading ability. But, um, you know, I think that's... I, I'm really intrigued by how that centre-back partnership is going to develop because mm. what's... 75 80 million pound Arsenal spent on those two yeah. now both both 23 years old you know that could be the bedrock of Arsenal's defense for four five six years now it's just a case of seeing them develop um and how they get used to each other and and stuff but for Gabriel it's a massive season again just like you were saying about Thomas Partey I think Gabriel's just is exactly up there because Arsenal invested a lot in him and he's a very talented player you speak to people who are part of that deal and um 
and the scouts who identified him and you know they all rate his ability they see him as you know having the potential to go on and be an absolute superstar defender and I think we saw signs of it last season uh, certainly initially before he had that little dip and he's got all the qualities to be a success in England he's quick he can be decent on the ball he's great in the air mm. and and this is just a really big season for him now so I, I absolutely agree but I'm very excited to see that white Gabriel partnership sort of um, over the next sort of two, three, four months as they get used to playing to each other because I, I think it could be really, really strong. Yeah, I mean, Gabriel, not quite like a new signing, but but sort of, you know, particularly if he's slotting into a, a fairly new look back four, we'll have to wait and see whether or not Tommy Asu is available for the weekend. I think he's only arrived in, in England this week, yesterday. And... Yeah, they've gotten out a work permit for him at the moment. They apparently needed to... Um, needed to wait for him to arrive before they could sort of start that process and he's arrived mm. now and they're going through with it but um last i heard just before we started this actually speaking to someone at arsenal they're very confident that it will be sorted in time for him to be involved i can't imagine they'll throw him straight into the starting lineup it'd be a bit, bit of a surprise i mean he's only would have had two training sessions mm. do you throw him straight into the starting lineup i'm i'm not sure i wouldn't be surprised if we see one more game of cedric or chambers and then tommy asu comes in oh, sorry i just yeah and one more game of Cedric and Chambers. It's like a promise at the end of some kind of shit-stained road. But anyway, look, yeah, we'll we'll see. I mean, the thing is, if you've signed a player and you think he's a good player um, and the system isn't, you know, so complicated that, uh, you know, you, you have to spend weeks making him study what you're going to do, yeah. you know, maybe he can fit in. And I think one of the interesting things that he Norwich speaks English... You'd hope that Arsenal aren't going to be under too much pressure defensively as yeah. Norwich are hiding there. And so it could, it could actually be the perfect game yeah. to play. He does speak good English as well, apparently. So, you know, that will make things a little bit easier. But, uh, yeah. I loved his unveiling photos with the fire extinguisher on the door in the corridor. <laughs> Some random, what looked like a school in in Japan. It was it was classic transfer deadline day. yeah. I have player photo. <laughs> it was like, uh, put me in mind of, um, remember they did the announcement of the Thomas Rosicki contract extension and they put a picture on the, the official website and it looked like some kind of basement where a serial killer hangs out uh, or, or takes his victims. Um, but yeah, <laughs> uh, hopefully uh, hopefully it augurs well for, for Tommy Asu. Ainsley Maitland-Niles. Mm. is staying, he's in the squad, he's another player in the squad, says Mikel Arteta. Before I just ask you about that, what what did you make of the, you know, sort of the end of the transfer window, the the Instagram plea to, to let me go, basically, Arsenal rejected the loan deal from Everton. Um, it's quite interesting because I saw Arsenal get criticised a lot for rejecting that loan deal and nobody had any idea quite what the the terms of that were. Similarly, I saw people criticising Arsenal for not accepting uh, an apparent offer from Mohamed Elneny, again, with no notion whatsoever of what the, the terms of that deal were from Galatasaray. I'd say it was, it was fairly much a pittance. And when you can't replace a player, it becomes much more difficult to let them go, yeah. even if... Even if you know there's, um, you're not looking at them as a key member of the squad, uh, is like five hundred thousand pounds worth it to Arsenal rather than keep Mohamed Elneny as an experienced, you know, backup midfielder. But but the Maitland Niles thing, it felt like he really wanted to go. Um, so, do you expect there to be any kind of issue there or is that something that as Arteta said at his press conference today we sorted it out privately one of those things um, 
that that you know with a conversation it can become less stressful for the player who wanted to leave i hope it can be sorted. it's going to be sorted out the only my only issue is that arteta isn't hasn't really been a manager who's let bygones be bygones <laughs> so far. So, um, but it wouldn't make any sense to really keep him and then absolutely not use him. I mean, I like Ainsley, and it, the, the whole thing's just been a bit confusing. The fact, you know, going way back to when Wolves made a decent bid for him, you know, Arsenal rejecting £20 million for him, and and then they just don't play him after that. It's like, well, what's the point? It's all a bit mm. of a confusing situation. I am... Um, you know, I felt pretty sad seeing that Instagram post. Maybe I felt pretty sad about it, really, because there's a Halem boy, Arsenal boy, basically pleading openly to leave the club, and I just thought it was really sad that it had come to that mm. for him to decide. You know, whether it was him, whether it was his agent, or whatever. You know, just for it to get to that stage was just a sad, sorry state of affairs. I mean, as far as I'm aware, of that situation that the Everton offer was just completely and utterly not acceptable to Arsenal. Mm. And you know, they they if an offer was there that was acceptable, Ainsley wouldn't be here now. You know, they were open to letting him go. But I don't know the ins and outs of the actual offer from Everton, but I've been told that it was just absolutely wholly unacceptable for Arsenal to to consider letting, you know, what would be a, a very versatile player who could offer him help in plenty of positions this season mm. to let him go. And so that's why they rejected re- rejected it. Um, and I can see their point. And like you said with Elneny, I, I mean, from what I understand, I'm not sure there was actually a, a, a proper official bid that came in for him before. I don't think there was anything that was actually officially rejected. But mm. I absolutely agree. I mean, what you got no, you got no room to, no time to respond. Windows already shut here. Midfield's already looking a little bit lacking at mm. the moment. It's it would, it would have to be a good offer just to to let him go now, or you're going to leave yourself very very short. So I, I can understand why he's still at the club now. But um, yeah, the Maitland-Niles one, I'm sad. I just really hope he can play and play well because I think he's a good, good player. Maitland-Niles, he can play right back, left back, centre midfield. He only can play well when he's got his head switched on and he's in the mood. And I just hope this doesn't affect that sort of headspace because yeah. I think is a player who plays best when he is absolutely dialled in and he feels wanted. And hopefully those, those conversations he's had behind the scenes with Arteta has sort of cleared the air and he, he can play, play a decent part this season. Yeah, it's quite an interesting one because I, I feel like he doesn't quite know what he wants to be as a footballer because yeah, I think the opportunity was there when Hector was out injured for him to really, really establish himself as a, as a right-back, right-wing-back option. I think he had some really good games there. We saw Arsenal win the FA Cup with him playing at left-wing-back, you know, beating Man City and beating Chelsea on the way to the final. I know from, you know, some of the interviews he's given in the past, he he spoke about wanting to be a winger. He said, I want to be a winger. I want to be Arsenal's winger. When I'm 25, this is what I want to be. Then he didn't want to be a winger. He wanted to be a central midfield player. He he pushed to go on loan in order to play, apparently, as a central midfield player. And it's very, very rare that I agree with anything that Sam Allardyce says or does. But, you know, when he talked after the season... I think he said Ainsley's problem is he wants to be a central midfield player. If I'm him, I just go, I play where the manager at Arsenal tells me to play. And I think there's something interesting in what Mikel Arteta said 
today. He says he knows he has a unique quality in sport, his versatility to play in many positions, and he needs to become the best at doing that as it's something very rare to find in football, which doesn't suggest to me that Mikel Arteta sees Maitland-Niles as definitively a right back, definitively a central midfield player, definitively a winger or any of those things, but does see him as somebody who can provide, I'm guessing, like high quality cover in a a number of positions. I mean, does does that make it more difficult for Maitland-Niles or does it make it easier for Maitland-Niles? I suppose the thing is, like, let's say if you're a right back, and, you know, you're Hector Bellerin and I'm, I'm Ainsley Maitland-Niles and you get injured and I'm sitting there going, well, I'm a bit sorry for my mate that he's got injured, but good. I'm in the team. I know I'm in the team. With Maitland-Niles, he's never going to quite know where he's going to be in the team if he's viewed as a player who can play in this position, that position or, or anywhere else. But it gives him more opportunities to play, doesn't it? You're not relying on just mm. one player to get injured. You, you, you can have a couple of players get injured and you're, and you're in the team. Mm. Um, so I think it kind of works both ways with him. Look, I, I'm, I, don't, I don't really see Ainsley having a long-term future at Arsenal. I think he stay, obviously stayed this window, but I, w- I wouldn't be surprised the next window that, that he does go in and offer mm. comes in that it is acceptable. But I think for now, the fact this has all been hopefully resolved and there are, you know, there's going to be no real fallout from what happened that he can just knuckle down and can have a decent season and can play wherever he's told to play. If, mm. if Tommy Asu gets injured, he can play right back. If Tierney's out, he can play left back if needed. If, like this weekend, Elneny, Xhaka are out, he could potentially play central midfield. Depend, you know, Lukonga, we don't know if he, what his injury is that he's come back with from Belgium. So Ainsley could potentially be starting central midfield on Saturday. Mm. Premier League. Um, so, yeah, I just, I just think he just needs to sort of brush what's happened now under the carpet and just really focus on this season because I think ultimately he will end up getting his move and then he'll go out and hopefully he can nail down one specific position that he wants to play in somewhere else. But for now, that's just not going to happen. I think he's got to, he's got to realise that he is going to be a bit of a utility man at Arsenal. That's how Arteta sees him and he's just got to do that job as best as he possibly can between now and the end of the season and then decide what happens after that. Mm. Okay, well, we'll see. I mean, you're right. He could play this weekend. He could play at right back as well. You never know if... Uh... You, you touched on there. Obviously, he was left wing back when Arsenal won the cup. He was brilliant in those two games against City and against Chelsea yeah. in the cup. And that's what got him into the England squad. And that's what suddenly you've got Wolves offering £20 million for. Mm. And this is where, it, for me, you know, Arteta has to take a big part of the blame for what's happened with Ainsley because it was at that point he re- they rejected that deal. Ainsley started the season and then I think he had one back. I can't remember who it was again. He had, he had a bad game. And then as mm. we've seen with Arteta, he's done plenty of times with players. Just suddenly it seems like one bad game and they are absolutely bang out in the cold. We've seen it with Pablo Mari now. You know, to, to suddenly lose your place against for Siak Lasnac is just baffling. And that seemed to happen with Ainsley at the start of last season. Just after he had this big offer, got into the England squad, had this big offer on his head from Wolves, £20 million, rejected. He must think, oh, you know, I'm well in Arteta's plans here. Mm. And one bad game, you're out in a cold and then you're barely back in again for months. And um, I think Arteta needs to work, for me, on the way he handles those sort of situations because we've seen it with other players as well. It seems to be very much you're either in his thinking or you're just, bang, you're out totally. And I think he needs to work on a way of making everyone feel involved 
um, at times and that, yeah, you can drop a player, but you don't have to really totally freeze them out, which is what he seems to do sometimes with players. And I think that's what happened with Ainsley and it really sort of knocked and dented his confidence a lot. Yeah. I mean, I'm thinking of Reese Nelson in that regard as well. You know, yeah, when, when Arteta took over, Reese Nelson was playing quite regularly on the right-hand side and then... Last season was a complete washout for him. Eddie Nketiah played quite regularly in the first part of last season and didn't really play at all in the second part. And, you know, whether, you know, you can talk about the improvement in the second half of the season, whether those two things are related, I think it goes much deeper than just Eddie Nketiah. But but those situations um, certainly feel like an area in which Arteta can improve as a coach, uh, but maybe as a club you know, there's some onus on those above him, the technical director, to talk about how you manage players and to talk about, um, I think sometimes we get a little bit too hung up on what the perceived value of a player is, right? Um, we worry a little bit too much about the value of a player and, and what have you. But when you are trying to sell and when you're trying to raise funds, we, we didn't really do that this transfer window. We brought in the money for Joe Willock a little bit for Matteo Ganduzzi down the line, but but other players who nominally should have had more value, Nelson, Malon Niles, uh, Eddie as well. Um, I know that deal might have fallen apart because of personal terms more than Arsenal being unwilling to accept a, an offer from Crystal Palace. But, but I think the way that they're perceived from the outside because of how much they play or how little they play or how little they're involved does have an impact. Yeah, I think it's definitely had an impact. For me, it's one of the big sort of black marks against Mikel is the way he hasn't... He, he seems to have... I, I, I think Tim Stillman um, uh, said it in a tweet. It was really good. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he just seems to tank the values of some of these players by the way he's not playing them. And um, and it has really affected them in the transfer market because lots of players have gone for far cheaper than you think they probably should have done mm. because they've either fallen out with a manager or just seem to have totally been... Um, chucked out into the cold and it's something that he needs to work on and whether Edu like you said is needs to put a little bit more pressure on, on that whether that can whether a manager can change I don't know when it comes to how he handles players but it, if he can then it's certainly an area that he needs to work on I think because it's one that I'm not sure he's great at just yet Well look um, we could probably live with that a bit more if the results on the pitch and if the performances were better so let's hope that that element of things picks up starting from tomorrow against Norwich and obviously uh, on a more consistent basis throughout the season but for now we better leave it there Charles thanks very much Thanks Andrew Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. JD Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. 
Thank you very much indeed to Charles. You can find him on Twitter at Charles underscore Watts at Charles underscore Watts. And he writes about Arsenal for goal.com. Now, the weekend, we have some players back, which is good. Ben White is back. That's good. Having a £50 million signing available to you always seems like a, a pretty good thing, which is also applicable to Thomas Partey. He's back, hopefully back in midfield. We've got Gabrielle back. We may have a new right back in the team. You know, there are things that Mikel Arteta can do to generate a bit more, I don't know, enthusiasm for the team. I mean, look, everything is predicated on results. How you feel about the team, how you feel about the players, how you feel about the manager. Some opinions can't really be swayed one way or the other. But I think if we were to go on a long winning run, people would feel a lot more satisfied about everything. But when you look at a team which has got new faces in it, as I said at the start, these clean slates that we have, if you've got... A team with Tommy Yasu, with White, with Gabrielle, who's a relatively new signing. Kieran Tierney, everyone loves a Kieran Tierney. Thomas Partey, Lokonga. And then you're going forward and you're looking at Saki, you're looking at Smith Rowe, you're looking at Odegaard. You're looking, hopefully, at them being able to provide the kind of chances that Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang needs. And, you know, I know he had a terrible season last season, but he is as close as this club right now is going to be able to get to a world-class striker. No two ways about it. We can't attract a better forward than that right now, the state we're in. So we've got to get him scoring goals again. And there are other players in this league at a similar age who are still scoring, still effective. So it's down to the manager to be able to get the best out of the players that he has. I, you know, looked at his press conference yesterday. I looked at everything that he said. All the talk about the project and people can roll their eyes about the project or or whatever else. Uh, And I understand that. Like I said, we're bottom of the table. We've no points, no goals. I get all the cynicism in the world. But I think Arteta was pretty clear about the need for short-term improvement. He's not blind to that. He's not stupid and doesn't think that his job is safe regardless of what happens, because that's not the case. It cannot be the case, and it won't be the case. So he's aware, and I think we're all aware, that there is something building in the medium to long term, but that short-term improvement has to come. And I'm hoping on a, a sunny day in September, hopefully it's a sunny day in September, when the teams come out at the stadium tomorrow at 3 o'clock and there are some new faces in it and everyone's enthusiastic, that we can match some of that enthusiasm with a performance. Because... Look, uh, it's easy to have doubts, but I'd like to be sitting here in three weeks' time or four weeks' time talking about, well, September was good. That was a step forward. We've got another international break, but we've got some games ahead of us that are, are, you know, relatively winnable. I want to be sitting here talking to you about Arsenal winning games and and maybe improving. And, you know, uh, I know people's opinions about managers and what have you can become fixed, But even if you think or have doubts about Mikel Arteta, surely the best thing for for all of us is for Arsenal to win, to win games. Doesn't mean that Arteta hasn't got anything left to prove. Of course he does. He is like climbing a mountain at this point when it comes to public opinion. He's running uphill with a backpack filled with lead bars. That is the reality of his situation. He may not be able to get there. He may not be able to do it, but I hope he does only for the fact that I want Arsenal to win games and I want Arsenal to improve and I want this team to 
to give us some joy again and give us some happiness again because it's no fun for anyone when Arsenal lose. There's nothing good about it. There's nothing enjoyable about talking about it, writing about it, podcasting about it, or anything else. And I'm sure that goes for listening to it or reading about it and all the rest. So, case sera, sera, and all that, but I'm keeping fingers crossed that Arsenal can rediscover some more Arsenal about themselves and less that facsimile, that that shambles of a version of Arsenal that we saw in those opening three games. And I'm hoping that on Monday morning, James and I will have a goodly morning to talk about a win against Norwich and we'll take it from there, one game at a time, etc., etc. So we'll leave it there for today. We are going to do a preview podcast over on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. Thank you for listening. As always, thanks for being here in uh, in good times and bad times. I know. It's like some kind of weird audio-based marriage in sickness and in health, in winning and in losing and all the rest. But whatever happens, we'll be here. And I thank you for tuning in, for downloading, for sharing, for your reviews, your comments and all the rest. Keep fingers crossed. Keep everything crossed. Come on, Arsenal. Just be a bit more Arsenal. That's all we're asking. Until the next one, folks, take it easy. Cheers. Bye-bye. Welcome back to Sky Sports News and with us to talk about a big summer for his football club, the technical director, Wolf Bottom. Wolf, how are you? All right. So it's been a pretty hectic summer for you guys. What exactly has the strategy been to bring success back to this football club? Well, I don't think you need to be a genius to work it out, to be honest. We've not played well last season, so... Basically, I've taken some of the underperforming players and and murdered them. In cold blood, I should add. And I've left their bodies strewn around the streets as a, as a warning to anybody else who thinks they can get away with underperforming. It's uh, quite a revolutionary idea, I have to say. Are you worried at all that it might, you know, just slightly inhibit some of the other members of the squad who've seen their teammates dismembered, disemboweled and, and all the rest? No, I can't say I am because we had a very constructive meeting uh, down at the training ground the other day and I said to all of them, I said, look... If any of you become inhibited at the sight of your teammates being disemboweled and dismembered and all the rest, I'll murder you too. With this new culture of death that you're implementing at the football club, are you concerned that perhaps you won't be able to attract new players who won't want to come for fear of being 
garroted in their sleep. Well, I can't lie, it has been challenging to sell the project to some of them, but this is a hugely ambitious football club and we've got to set the standards. And if we do that, then the only way is up. I think all we can do is wish you the very best of luck with it. How are you set up for the new season? Oh, great, great. We can't wait to get going. I mean, the only thing is we do have a a distinct shortage of players. So if anyone knows a lad who wants a game, tell him to to give me a buzz. Actually, come to think of it, you're a supple-looking young man. Would you like a game? (laughs) No. Sky Sports News coming up next. Matt Letizia is here to tell us why the polio vaccine is full of lizard DNA. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great, too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. <laughs> 